Culture Affidavit Episode 8. Usually I don't like Mondays, but for you, Blue, I'll try. Hello, and welcome to episode 8 of Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast that takes a look just about everything random in the world of popular culture. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. So this time around, I thought I would spend some time on what I do with my other podcast, Taking Flight, which you can find over at the Batman Universe or on iTunes by searching for the Batman Universe, Taking Flight. Plus, I've got a guest appearance on a recent Batman Universe podcast where I joined a panel to talk about Robin. Donovan Grant was kind enough to invite me on, and I had a great time. But do check that out. Check out Taking Flight, everything associated with the Batman universe, and if you're a fan of The Dark Knight or a fan of comics in general. So what I talk about over at Taking Flight, well, yes, I talk about Robin and Batman, but more importantly, I talk about comics. And that's what this particular episode is going to be about, comics. But unlike the superhero comics I've spent the majority of my very short podcasting career talking about, and my very long comic career collecting, I want to steer things in a different direction. And that is, well... What I guess we call indie comics? I'm not too sure what to call it. I, I want to say alternative because I'm talking about a book that doesn't fe- feature a single superhero and isn't published by DC or Marvel. But when I use the alternative word alternative, I think of alternative music going mainstream in the early 90s and people asking alternative to what? And indie, uh, I don't know if that's even the right word. But yeah, I'll say independent comics, which... When I look at what I have in my comics collection, I actually have quite a few of. More than, well, when I started thinking about when I wanted to cover for this episode, I realized, to be honest. Granted, some of those are like various comics by Dark Horse that like Aliens licensed comics uh, and a few series by Image. And Image Today, like Image Today, not like shit like Brigade. Although if I wanted that, I think most of the series is in the quarter bit of my LCS. But a quite a number of them not only don't feature a single costume, some of them don't feature very much in the way of action. Oh yeah, I've got some cop stories, I've got some stuff that has its fair share of violence, and for all its love stories, Strangers in Paradise is built around a plot involving Kachu's past with the Parker girls. And maybe one day I'll actually uh, go through through that, although that's a daunting... It's almost a podcast in itself, if you think about it. There's a... I don't know if there's like 20 trades or something like that. I've got the last half of the series, and one day I'll go collect back and collect a few of them. Anyway, I do have a lot of stuff I think would fall into the category, though, of comedy or drama if we were talking about a video store, not, say, like a comic book store. I plan on this being the first of several times uh, where I pick up a random independent series that I happen to own, give an overview and a review of what I think will be worthwhile, uh, because not only will I get to shed some light on something that I honestly enjoy, but perhaps I'll get a few people reading them. This time, I'm going to cover a title that's been a fi- that, that I've enjoyed since I first read it about a decade ago, and that is Blue Monday. But first, an email. This one comes from Chris Keith. It's about last episode, which is about which was where I covered Can't Buy Me Love. Greetings, Tom. 
I wanted to write you after listening to your Can't Buy Me Love episode. It was funny that this movie was the subject of discussion as my wife and I stumbled upon Loverboy, the Patrick Dempsey Pizza Delivery Boy gigolo movie, the other night and said how long it had been since we had seen Can't Buy Me Love. Easily 20 years since I've seen the entire thing, and at least 10 since I've seen snippets. A few points for discussion. 1. Patrick Dempsey completely off-topic and more comic book-related, but I have read on Newsarama, I think, that Dempsey apparently, the crew of Grey's Anatomy, I'm assuming the dudes, are Marvel Comics fans, and that Dempsey would play doc- could play Doctor Strange. While I'm not for a Doctor Strange-centric movie, I think he would work better work in one of the other Marvel films. I can see Dempsey in the role. I can kind of see that, too. And like I said, Dempsey in 87 or in the early 90s, would actually have made a decent Dick Grayson, too. But now he's a little too old. He would be a little too old for that. Anyway, with uh, Chris continues. Two, with regard to the thousand bucks that Ronald paid Cindy, didn't his 15-page agreement include a confidentiality clause that result in a complete refund should a breach occur? See, just because he's a nerd doesn't mean he can't think like an attorney. Hello, my name is Chris, and I'm a nerd, and I'm an attorney. Hi, Chris! Number three, The Slow Clap. Was this movie the advent of The Slow Clap? I um, think so, mainly because I'm too lazy to research that point. And how does one research The Slow Clap? You know, after you wrote me in, wrote into me, Chris, I actually, now, granted, I googled what was the first slow clap in a movie or some crap. Uh, Roger Ebert answered this question in a column years ago. He said it's very possible it stems from Citizen Kane, the scene, uh, and you've probably actually seen the animated GIF, uh, GIF where he Orson Welles is clapping um, before uh, he kind of claps to keep the applause going because his wife is like singing or something. I know of a previous instance of the slow clap more contemporary to Can't Buy Me Love, I want to say go look at the locker room scene in Hoosiers. uh, Or maybe some other sports movies of the time. I want to say it was around. My favorite type of slow clap is the one that starts like, you know, really slow, you know, and there's the one guy and he's just looking all serious and then there's another guy who starts the clapping and then the third guy and then they all start clapping and, like, and then there's that one guy who looks around and has this like, oh yeah, this is awesome look on his face and they're cheering and the one guy goes, woo, yeah! yeah so that, that, that's that's the awesome awesomeness that is is the slow clap. The kids in my high school, for some reason, think it's hilarious to start these in the cafeteria by school where I teach at. They never do it right. They don't let it. They don't let it slow long enough. They go right to the fast clap. I'm like, no, you gotta let it build. They have no concept of a crescendo. This is the same group of teenagers, though, by the way, who can't dance to shout, as played by Otis Day and the Knights, properly. This is the future of our country. A generation that does not know that when you hear a little bit softer now, you start to get down on the floor, and a little bit louder now, you get up. I weep for the future. Chris continues. With regard to some of the movies that you mentioned, Romeo and Michelle, I will partially agree with you that this film is a guilty pleasure, but for Lisa Kudrow and Mira Sorvino, well, 
Bufferly, sorry, Bufferly Sakujo. I, I need to learn how to read. Mira Sorvino, well, that accent almost made me stop the movie the first time. I'm not sure what she was attempting, but it sounded like Stoner Valley Girl from Wisconsin. Every time I grab a book of post-its, however, I immediately think of this movie. I love that scene where she, like, rattles off the entire, like, chemical process of creating the glue for post-its. Uh, yeah, you don't like how she says, Romy? I, I haven't, Chris, I haven't watched this movie in, like, God, it must be 15 years by now. Um, I do love the fact that Janine Garofalo's character created the fast-smoking cigarette. It was, like, twice the nicotine and half the time for the gal on the, gal on the go or something. I'm going to have to... I have it on VHS. I have it on a VHS tape where I, I have that and Gross Point Blank and probably like The Sure Thing or something um, or Chasing Amy or, or some movie. I used to... when I Back when I used to dub movies back in uh, you know, high school and college. Um, I'm going to have to dig that one out. I, I could probably do a whole... I could do a whole thing on high school reunion movies um, from the from the 90s. Anyway... Chris continues again. Number five, you mentioned Can't Hardly Wait briefly. Not only is Seth Green in it, Ethan Embry and the dude that plays the vampire, dad vampire on Twilight. Yeah, I have a 13-year-old daughter, so I've endured the Twilight films. But yeah, Trifecta from Six Feet Under, Lauren Amber, Rose's Claire, Freddie Rodriguez, Federico, and even Eric Balfour, Gabe Claire's boyfriend who held up a liquor store. There's a point in that movie, by the way, Chris, where you start to play spot the actor you know. I mean, yeah, you've got JL, Jennifer Love Hewitt, um, Jerry O'Connell has, Peter Facinelli is, is the, uh, who is Mr. Jenny Garth at the time, uh, or would become Mr. Jenny Garth, and I think he, I, he was one of those actors who kind of kicks around every once in a while in there, uh, and, and Jamie Presley's in it, but then you've got, like, Charlie Corsmo, who was I want to say he was one of the little kids in What About Bob, and he had some other kid roles in the early 1990s. Eric Palladino, who, at the time I watched this movie uh, fairly regularly, was on ER. Sarah Rue, uh, who has been on um, comedy after comedy, sitcom after sitcom. He's She's the girl who starts screaming, cheap. Clea Duvall, who... I know she was in the faculty at one point. Some of Blair's in the movie. Donald Faison, who I'd already known from Clueless, but we all know from as Turk on Scrubs. Uh, Jason Siegel has uh, a very small part in it. The kid who played Chuck Sherman in American Pie is the kleptomaniac guy. And uh, fellow Sable Junior High School alum, Melissa Joan Hart. Of course, playing the yearbook girl. Uh, seriously, this movie—I swear, this movie will get its one episode, own episode one day. It's uh, shit. I mean, it might even be worth a, a commentary. That at Empire Records. Um, I'm sorry you have to endure the Twilight films. By the way, I, I really, really am. Chris continues again. Before I forget the geek tie-ins uh, for Loverboy, by the way, Carrie Fisher is one of the wives that Dempsey quote-unquote delivers pizza to, along with Kirstie Alley. Uh, this movie was before Kirstie Alley apparently ate Kirstie Alley. Even the doctor from Star Trek Voyager, although I never watched it. I never watched, I think I seen one episode of Voyager. I, I kind of tuned out um, after Next Generation, and I never got into Deep Space Nine. 
to be honest with you. And I think when Loverboy came out in 88, Kirstie Alley had just come off of summer school. Uh, and she, yeah, she was like smoking in summer school. Uh, I don't think I've seen Loverboy or all of Loverboy. But yeah, she was like, damn, in summer school. Chris wraps up. That's pretty much all I have. I think I'll rewatch Cat by My Love this weekend. Maybe go ride it by a riding lawnmower or just a pet helmet. It's cheaper. Thanks for an excellent show as usual, Chris Key. Thanks again, Chris, for the email. And if you're interested in emailing me on anything I've covered, uh, send all emails to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. So, like I said, this month I'm going to be covering Oni Press's Blue Monday, and I'll be doing that right after this break. James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Violate the treaty, Captain. Red alert! All hands, battle stations! This is Captain Kirk. Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands, battle stations. Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. And we're back! Written and drawn by China Clugston, Blue Monday takes place in the very early 1990s and stars Blue Finnegan, a high school student who, along with her friends, is obsessed with new wave music and just about all things British. And the book has a style and even a soundtrack to match. Her artwork suits it very well, too. No, it's not British-influenced artwork to match the love of British New Wave. It's actually very manga style. And I know that's not people's favorite, especially among the comics podcasters I listen to. And it's not honestly my favorite either. But considering that this book is about teenagers and very pop-oriented, it really, really works. So what I'm going to do is not a blow-by-blow account of an issue, which is what I tend to do over at Taking Flight, because Blue Monday is in its entirety is a three series and few specials that are collected into four trades. The Kids Are Alright, Absolute Beginners, Painted Moon, and In Between Days. That is the correct reading order, although the publication order is slightly different because the books that comprise In Between Days came out before Painted Moon. To be honest, though, reading order doesn't matter too much when it comes to those last two. 
Clugston started also started a series called Thieves Like Us a few years ago, but that's still unfinished to my knowledge. Covering all the issues in order would be a material more suited for, say, a series of episodes. So, I thought I'd just keep a kind of overview here, just enough to give you an idea of what the series is and what I think about it. So, China Cluxton hails from California. She got her start in comics by drawing a vampire series in the 90s called Bloodletting. After that, she published a few Blue Monday stories in Action Girl, as well as Dark Horse Presents, and then followed Dark Horse editor Jamie Rich over to Oni Press in 1999. And that was very relatively a new comics company that had gotten noticed, at least by mainstream comics fans like me, for publishing comics based on Kevin Smith's Clerks movie, uh, as well as tie-in books to the then-pop culture phenomenon known as the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, the shine has faded a little from Blair Witch, but in 99 that movie was huge, and damn if the tie-in stuff like books and comics didn't sell pretty well. But I'm not talking about Blair Witch. I'm talking about Blue Monday, and that debuted in Oni Double Feature number 11. It was an anthology series, is pretty much Oni's version of Dark Horse Presents. Some of those short stories are featured in the first Blue Monday trade. So like I said, there are three series and some specials. The Kids Are Alright, that was published in 2000. Absolute Beginners followed in 2001. The Stuff from In Between Days came out in 2003, and Painted Moon, that was collected in 2005. Thieves Like Us had started, like I said, it started in around 2009. Only one issue ever came out. She's supposedly going to finish it up sometime in the next couple of years. At least that's what Wikipedia says. But we, I don't think we've really seen much of anything. And I've checked previews over the last, you know, every once in a while, we'll check previews for what's going on at Oni to see if there's anything interesting. But I haven't seen anything Blue Monday related since about 2009. So I think it's best to take a look at this comic through its characters a little bit. Uh, it's way more character-driven than it's plot-driven. Not that the stories aren't interesting, but it's the interactions between those characters that really make it what it is. Our main character, like I said, is Blue Finnegan, spelled B-L-E-U, by the way, so Blue, although I'll just say Blue. She's a blue-haired teenager which we only really find out from the cover and description because the comic's in black and white, by the way. She's a blue-haired teenager who's obsessed with mod, new wave culture. She's both a fan of Adam Ant, and she's a fan of Buster Keaton. Her best friend is Clover Connolly, an Irish girl who's an aggressive, tomboyish friend who's the punk rock to Blue's new wave. Other characters include their friend Aaron, uh, a group of guys, Alan, Victor, and Monkey Boy, who are the type of teenage boys, well, who are the type of typical teenage boys. You know, they think their immature behavior is absolutely hilarious, and yet still somehow get along with these girls. When you see it, it's perplexing as to how the heck they could get along with the girls, but that's one of those things about teenagers. Um, I see it every day where I teach high school. I remember being among a pack of guys when I was in high school who, yeah, did act pretty immature, especially around girls. Uh, but we also had some pretty decent acquaintances and even friendships with some of them. We never actually really dated any of them, much to our chagrin, but... That would never wound up being a huge deal, especially when I actually did start dating girls. Anyway, Cluxton captures the dynamics of teenage life and relationships extremely well in the series, and I think that's what made me keep reading it after I picked up the trade for the kids are alright. 
I think I'd seen it advertised in previews one month because I'd been looking to see if there were going to be any Clerks comics available. It retailed for ten ninety five. It was printed in digest format rather than the size of the trade paperback you're used to getting. The digest format helps make the trades cheap, but at the same time, it makes the comics a little too hard to read on occasion, especially when you're going through in-between days and Clugston uses a lot of dialogue and narration boxes. I don't know. Maybe it's the fact that my vision is crap lately, but I found myself squinting from time to time. But it's a minor quibble, to be honest. Uh, each of the stories does have a main point. It seems that they're going for a teen movie the- feel, and with this taking place in 1990, Clugston does what she can to give us the feel of the 80s hangover period of the 90s, which was the time before grunge really kicked in, even though it was already around. Uh, she avoids making Blue Monday into something like, I don't know, The Wedding Singer or Hot Tub Time Machine, where they are obsessed with their own displays of nostalgia for comedic purposes. Not that those movies aren't great, but because they're hilarious. But the characters in Blue Monday are so obsessed with New Wave and mod and punk that they wind up being more or less, well, I don't want to say outcasts, but there's definitely an island of misfit toys feel among the characters. It's sort of a... I, I look at how she set them up the same way the characters were set up, say, in like Freaks and Geeks. Kind of... Not put down yet outside the norm, so to speak. So she's allowed to tell her story, though, without having to stick too closely to the setting of the time period and the setting. And to be honest, the fact that quite a number of characters seem to be hipsters in training makes it hold up for this day and age. It's not an insult, as much as I can't stand hipsters. Teenage hipsters, though, they they tend to make asses out of themselves, and it's actually kind of amusing. In fact, that seems to be a motif in Blue's life. Uh, whatever crazy situations she gets itself into, she spends most of the kids are alright trying to get tickets to an Adam Ant concert. She winds up getting videotaped uh, while changing clothes in Absolute Beginners, and Painted Moon, well, a little more on that later. It seems that Blue as a protagonist, is hopelessly awkward to the point where she's a bit of a walking calamity at times. Although it doesn't help that the guys she hangs out with are often the cause of said calamities. Take, for instance, what I said happens in Absolute Beginners. The premise of the series is that the gang attends a friend's party, and it's a murder mystery party where everyone dresses like they're from the 20s or something, and, well, don't worry, it doesn't go well because the guy's screwed up anyway. Blue is set to crash into a friend's house, and when she's showering and changing for the night, the guys manage to see her from another window, and they videotape the whole thing. Then the thing goes viral. Well, as viral as the video can go in in the early 1990s. Uh, But Blue spends the rest of the series trying to live this down, especially when her mind, it at least, well, in her mind at least, it will ruin her chances of relationship with her new teacher, Mr. Bishop. I know. It's her teacher, and nothing really happens between the two of them. She just has a crush. But one of the most notable things about Blue's character is that she seems to fall madly in love with guys who are completely unattainable. In The Kids Are Alright, it's Adam Ant. Blue spends much of the series trying to get tickets to his concert. There's repeated attempts at being the ninth caller to the local radio station, an attempt to win a karaoke competition that she loses because she doesn't have huge knockers, and 
And when she does win tickets, because she does, and she gets to go to the concert, she's actually thwarted because she doesn't have a photo ID. She doesn't have a driver's license. And she's thwarted by a bitchy box office cashier and then an asshole bouncer. Uh, Clover beats the shit out of the bouncer, by the way. Blue actually does meet Adam, so there's a bit of wish fulfillment, but she spends the rest of the of the other stories, and part of the kids are alright, pining for a guy she can't have, Mr. Bishop, while at her, at her friends at times uh, here and there hook up, and at one point do hook up with one another. It's not like this simmering romantic and sexual tension that's finally realized or anything, but the awkwardness of hormones that kind of happens between a lot of these characters. Because they're all about 16 or so, so the guys are sex-obsessed, but, but um, they also act like children half the time. And the girls, at times, both seem experienced or mature, but are, well, clueless. Cher Horowitz, to a certain degree. Of course, that means she's also channeling the classic uh, Jane Austen protagonist, Emma. I'm not a fan of Jane Austen by any means, but I've read Emma three times? They kept, they kept assigning it to me in college. And I've seen Clueless more times than I can count. Blue has Cher's innocence. Uh, that sense of her just not knowing how to navigate a teenage love life. Even though she seems to be kind of expert on all things uh, or just above some of those you know, stupid boys uh, reading all of these series I get the sense that Blue has crushes on unattainable guys because she wouldn't not w know what to do if she had like a real guy and Clover Clover the rough and tumble thing uh, it's obviously playing off Irish stereotypes uh, you know, the angry brawler but at the same time it, it's her defense mechanism their friend Aaron goes in a different direction. Uh, she's the other girl in the story, and she's kind of an exhibitionist. I mean, she just seems... not. I mean, not, not like... in some really, really perverted way. It's just that she seems to have no problems having letting the boys see her in her underwear. And this openness regarding sex, it, it is one of the things about the series, or various series, that can make you uncomfortable from time to time. Uh, Clugston, she's not writing porn or anything like that. Um, her characters are, in fact, rather chaste. But like I said, she captures the immaturity of early high school years extremely well. The, the boys are sex-obsessed. They're porn-obsessed. They're exactly the demographic that actually the major comic companies are targeting whenever they put a C-cup superheroine in a Brokeback pose. Uh, what Clugston does is she treats topic like sex, like relationships, even masturbation, with kind of an honest frankness. It's not a PSA. There's nothing, anything like that. Um, you know, it doesn't. It, it it doesn't go kind of in that Degrassi High direction, where there is sort of a cautionary tale or an after-school special where there's a cautionary tale involved. Oh, Degrassi High did have its fair share of realism, but Painted Moon, for instance, 
it doesn't have like a central plot like you know they're like absolute beginners did or the kids are right did um it, it's the sort of comedy of errors about awkward boys and equally awkward girls and there's a lot of like Aaron trying to match make and manipulate people and boys and girls to some end that she has probably embarrassing blue and or clover and it's also Victor and Alan acting like morons where they get met near members of the opposite sex but uh, there's this subplot about masturbation that, that it's funny at times and uncomfortable in an A. I don't know if I should be reading this sort of way because you know this is a little awkward but but it, it does work I mean if you're just thinking in terms of the, the overall plot Clugston, though, keeps her series pretty grounded. There are running gags involving a giant talking sea otter named Seamus in a couple of the series, which I saw as, um, like, trying too hard to be offbeat. I don't know. It, it, it was just lame in, in some regard to me. Uh, there's a floating Jesus head statue that was introduced in a short story that pops up in the Halloween story, Dead Man's Party, that's part of In Between Days. But for all the madcapness, for all the silliness, for all of the, the new waveness, when you've got Blue and her friends, and you're when it's about her and her friends, there's something genuine and there's some real character moments. For instance, um, for all of Clover's rough edges, and for all of Victor's immaturity, the two actually do kiss uh, in, in, in Love Cats and in Between Day Story, and it's this, it's framed as a kind of a sweet moment. And one that, at least as far as the other characters are concerned, or at least as far as I've read at this point, because like I said, I haven't read that one issue of Thieves Like Us because I don't have it, and uh, beyond that, nobody knows, so I don't know if it was addressed by the other characters, but for as far as I know the other characters, uh, they don't know this happened. Um, because the two of them are alone when it happens and then like right, right after they do it's kind of, they're kind of interrupted and they're just kind of it's almost like a wink at each other sort of moment uh, that's that's actually like kind of like I don't know if we should be doing this and something very sly about it that is like I said genuine in a sense that that I like about it because it keeps the comic from going completely off the rails at times as does some of the exploration of the friendship that some of these kids have with each other like the real friendship like how they met the interests they shared and things like that and I think you stay or at least I think that's maybe why I stay because of moments like that and because with that comic she clearly is having some fun you know, I'm giving you the express version of a review here, because this is going to be a shorter episode, but looking at it, having read all four book trades, or I have two of the trades in two of the series, in individual issues, um, Clugston, she knows the tropes of a solid teen movie or a teen TV series. Uh, she's got an ensemble cast that she keeps just large enough to manage, uh, especially when the manga-style art can gravitate toward not being able to remember who's who at times. You know, you have to use hairstyle to figure out who's who. Those faces are kind of the same. She scores the book at appropriate moments. She puts song titles uh, by putting song titles in caption boxes when certain scenes begin. In fact, 
if you're listening closely underneath my commentary and rambling and for all of a half an hour here, you've heard some of the songs she actually references in the uh, in the comics. I actually like it. It's a great idea for a comic book, especially a comic book of this nature. To be honest, it, I mean, and it actually led me to downloading some random songs by bands like Haircut 100. You know, it's... I, I like I like New Wave. I have my fair share of it. Um, but it's not what I really listened to when I was a teenager. Uh, the soundtrack of my teenage years in the early 90s uh, would have featured Pearl Jam as opposed to The Jam. But, you know... I can get down with a group of music-obsessed teenagers having their own sort of soundtrack. And, like I said, it, it fits the mood, it fits the, it, it fits the style of the story. And not bad for a series that, you know, like I said, I just kind of found in previews. They had, the company had attracted my attention because of the Clerks, Clerks comics. And I saw this back in 2000, 2001 or so, and thought... I've been trying to expand my horizons beyond superheroes. I like the Clerks comics. Why don't I pick up this? And um, I know that's not an excited comic origin story for an indie series. I have a more exciting story when it comes to freaking Damage, that seri- that DC series from the early to mid '90s, you know. So, um, but it is what it is, and I, you know, I I enjoy it. I enjoy it as. I don't want to call it fluff because that sounds like a that sounds negative, but it, it's just it is simply fun. It's light. It's fun. It's nothing that I'm going to um, look at in depth. Um, I might take it out every once in a while, flip through it, and and, and enjoy it. And it's pretty easily available. Uh, it's collected into four trades. Although I think I had to get in between days off of eBay recently. I don't know if that's still in print, but I know the first three, the other three are. They're all pretty affordable if you're interested in checking them out. Um, on the website, I will provide a few links in the show notes, um, some scans as well. You Knowing in-stock trades, you might actually be able to get them, each of them, for under $10 at this point. So if you're interested in, like I said, Blue Monday, it's, it's worth a glance. Next time... Uh, even though this is a short episode, next time it's definitely going to be a little, a little bit longer. I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing, but I do know it's going to have to do something with movies, and and it'll go longer than a half hour, 45 minutes. But thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this little bit of an offbeat piece, and I will talk to you later. You have reached the end of another episode of Pop Culture Affidavit. All music, clips, or other material used in this podcast are the property of their respective copyright holders. And as this podcast is intended for entertainment and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Clips, pictures, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, a blog where each week I take a look at a random thing in the world of popular culture and give my opinion as well as personal experience and memories I have with it, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback and other comments about this podcast can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and come back next time for some more pop culture randomness. Pop culture randomness.